Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, uh, thanks again, everyone. Thanks, team. Uh, we can't wait to uh, have many of you with us here as, as we begin to think about all the details of opening up. Uh, you know, if you missed a welcome just at the beginning here of our, of our live stream, uh, we, we shared a little bit about opening up, and I'll share just a little bit at the end right before I close, so stay tuned. I just want to share a little bit more about our elders and how we're praying and discerning a, a lot of things. Now, I know this, maybe many of you know this, you know, watching online has been hard. You know, it's, it's probably such a, a difficult discipline that you're feeling to be like, hey, I've been watching for like 30 minutes, I'm tired, I'm going to go get a coffee, or some of you haven't showered on a Sunday before, so you're going to have to start doing that again, so I'm sorry. Uh, you know, like there's certain patterns that developed and we realized that there's a certain discipline of saying, hey, I want to prepare myself for the next season. And I, I've been bugging my kids as well who sometimes tune in. I hope they're watching. If they want lunch, they're watching. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. But I, I, I often ask them, hey, did you listen to the sermon? Did any of what dad said make sense? And they said, well, it does. But then you got boring. And I'm like, I got boring? Like, what are you talking about? So we know, like, as, as much as we try to connect, that this medium has its limits. And, uh, and we understand that. So if you've been tuning in and committed and learning with us, whether you're watching live, which we encourage you to do, or just maybe tuning in a bit later, uh, we know that it's, it's been hard. And it's been hard for all of us. And so uh, we, we thank you for your patience and for your commitment to do this. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been in this series trying to really focus on one of the most important things is what does it mean to return to learning about Jesus in a fresh way? We've kind of decided at the beginning of 2022 that we would start a series on Jesus. We, we wanted to look back at the beginning of this difficult year and say that COVID doesn't get the final word about the people that we're going to become. Right? COVID and everything you watch on your newsfeed or on your phone can't be the only thing that influences who we become. And you know this and I know this. That 30 minutes with a, a, a sermon or even just some time reading your Bible will never outpace the millions of hours and video clips and tuning in that we scroll through all day. And, and so we shouldn't be confused if we find that the world is shaping us more than the Bible or our faith, right? Especially if we don't make time for our faith or the Bible or Christian community or discipleship or learning in a way like everything else in our world. So we've encouraged you to kind of make a commitment to do this together and to grow together. And we're going to do our best as a church to walk you through these kind of learning seasons and to help you. And so today we're wrapping up a series on rediscovering Jesus. We've called the series Jesus Rediscovered. And as we begin, you know, I kept thinking like this series could have gone for another like five weeks. Like we haven't even touched that Jesus loved to teach in parables. We haven't touched uh, some of the things that are so essential to Jesus and his miracles. And so we understand that. But we've tried to at least take a few weeks and say, can we learn to like return to learning and reading and listening uh, about what Jesus says and how the Gospels revealed Jesus to us that would really stretch us 
And I've done something in the series. Pastor Michael did a great job last week helping us to almost give you some confession moments where I have had to grow or I've had to learn to think differently about Jesus in my own life. Maybe you've never done that or you can feel like the scariness of it all. But I, I remember a story that I read a while back and it, it had to do with this uh, Nigerian writer. She now is a very popular writer and, and she shares this profound story in her life about uh, just being a, a young girl, eight years old in her village in Nigeria and being fairly well off. You can take this off the screen just for a second. I'm just gonna tell the story and then I'll read that for you. But uh, she, she was fairly well off in her community and there was a young boy named Fide who would come to their, to their house and oftentimes her family uh, would give Fide some food and he would take it back and go to his family and bring that back there. And, and so for a while she just thought, you know, trying to make sense of her own life in this world with other people around her who weren't well off or were very, very different. And one day her mother asked her to bring some food to Fide's family in the other village. So she would have to go to where he is instead of this young boy coming to where she was. And in this moment she realized something that had happened to her that I think happens to all of us. She realized that because she knew Fide's family was poor and because she had a story about him, she figured like that nothing good kind of could come of their town or poor people didn't really kind of have any hope in that way. And she says this profound moment when she got there and she saw these beautiful art and crafts that were there that the Fide's mom had made. And this is kind of the quote that really captured kind of the story for me. And maybe it'll help you as we begin this morning. She says this, all I had heard about them, this family, was how poor they were put the quote, quote up now, I'll read it. So that it had become impossible for me to see them as anything else but poor. Their poverty was my single story of them. And I remember reading this and thinking, I think I've done that with Jesus. I think I have a certain story about Jesus and it's the single story and the only way that I see him. And it takes so much work to kind of get beyond that and to see Jesus for who he really was, which is more complex, more beautiful, more loving than I could ever imagine or you could ever imagine. And not only that, I think about how easy it is for us to do this to other people, to have a single story about others in our lives. We see people on, on the news or we see people on our social media feed and we have a story we tell ourselves about them. Oh, those kinds of people, they do this. Those kinds of people, they are not into vaccines. Oh, those kinds of people, well, they just do what the government says. And we even have labels for people. I think if you kept, caught me at my worst, you would have a story about me. And that there's something about Jesus that tells us we should be very careful to put labels on people and to think we understand them fully based on one single experience with them. Or maybe one single story about them. Or just reading one idea that fits into our category about what people are like or not like. And so Jesus helps us with this. And today I want to tell you a story and I want to take you back to a moment in the life of Jesus where Jesus is trying to help people not do that to him. That people who are following Jesus and people who are listening to him teach have a single story about him. And they're trying to put Jesus almost in a box and to say, this is what Jesus is like. He's the kind of guy that we can't trust or he's the kind of guy that loves people that we love. Jesus becomes whatever we want him to be. And I want to tell you about a time when Jesus begins to push against almost everybody's perspective on who he should be, the expectations that all of these people have for him. And I want to end this series on this note, this profound story in Luke's gospel that I want to look at together. And as we do this, I, I want you to feel the, the weight of the story. I want you to think of, of something really important. So I'm going to ask a very simple question. I want you to think of someone that you know that really struggles to believe that God could love them. Just think of that. Maybe you have a moment in your life where you just struggled to believe that God could really love you. 
I, I know people that I meet, I talk with, who have all these regrets, these mistakes that they've made, and the, the, the narrative that they tell themselves is like, God could never love someone like me. I, I, like, I've made so many mistakes, and it's so messed up, and I still make mistakes. Like, God could never love someone like me, and I, I'm not really into God or religion. And after a while, we start to feel that. I mean, I've probably felt it a few times over these past few years with COVID. Like, I mean, does God really care about us? Like, are we going to, like, lose our church, lose our families, lose our marriage, lose our kids to this? Like, does God really love us? Like, what is he doing? Maybe you know someone or you feel that. Something has happened in your life that's making you wonder, does God really love me? Over the years, I think I I, I thought that one of the things God's probably going to ask all of us when we meet him one day face to face is he's going to ask us, did you believe that I loved you? Did you really believe that I loved you? And did you live like someone who was loved? There's times when I struggle with that. Because I'm like, I don't, I don't know, good days, bad days, I'm not sure. I want to take you to a moment in Luke's gospel where there's someone in the story who probably every day of their lives wondered whether God loved them. The person we're going to look at is a person who we know from the beginning of his life was a paralytic, meaning he couldn't walk, couldn't go anywhere, was dependent on everybody to take care of him probably felt the shame of not being able to be a man or to be involved in a culture. Trust me, no matter how much we've maybe felt whether God loves us, this person wondered about God's love for them. And before we even get to this person, we're introduced to the fact that Jesus is teaching and now at a place in his ministry where people are following him. And there's a crowd following him. And at times, Jesus has this secret, sly way that he almost gets away from people. He'll either, like, disappear on a boat and go to another side of a village. Or he's kind of getting popular. And Jesus has this profound thing that he does that I wish we understood better. He, he has a way of sifting people away from just a crowd. That's uh, kind of a, something that's hard for us to understand maybe in our culture because we love crowds. We love attention. We actually have someone called influencers, people who get a lot of attention. Jesus almost stayed away from that kind of stuff. Whenever there was too much influence, too much attention, where people were getting distracted, he actually removed himself from the crowd and went in another direction. So it's a good habit for us to remember, right? That our identity is not shaped by the crowd, but Jesus calls us to this deeper place of intimacy with people where we could see them, hear them, disagree with them, love them, learn from them. And there's this moment where Jesus is going to do this. He's going to do this before we meet this person who's a paralytic. And Luke tells us something really, really profound that Jesus is going to do. And gives us kind of this, he shapes the context of this. Let me just read it for you as we begin to understand the story. It says this, that one of the days while Jesus was teaching, some proud religious law keepers, religious, religious leaders and teachers of the law, were sitting by him. So Jesus is with these religious teachers. They had come from every town in the countries of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was there to heal them. This is such a, 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 a great like snapshot that I, man, I always get stretched by this because I always learned, like Jesus hated these religious people. Like he didn't want them around. He was always like saying stuff about them. They were mad. But we have moments where we see that the people that we would associate with religion and the institution, Jesus is almost making room for them to come and to be closer and to learn. And if you look at your slide and if you, you have your Bible open there in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, there's a really important line, like I just want to emphasize, that it says, and the power of the Lord was with him, with Jesus, to heal. Okay? Now, if you have your Bible open, and we've encouraged you, especially if you're at home and you can slow down and open up your Bible and read uh, with us or take some notes, like that verse there is also translated in a few different ways in different manuscripts that we have. That it isn't just saying the power of the Lord was there to heal, with him to heal. It says the power of the Lord was also there to heal them. 
Okay, the word them doesn't appear in all the manuscripts we have, but it's implied in the language that what Jesus is about to do is not only about to cause someone who needs to walk to, he to be healed, but these religious leaders who are not even going to ask for healing, that they themselves can experience the power of God's healing in this moment that we're about to learn about. I I've had times in my life where I didn't think I needed healing. I feel pretty great right now, actually. You know? I'm, I feel healthy. I feel like things are fine. I would just say, like, if you met me and somebody said to me, hey, do you need to be healed? I'm like, no, I don't. I'm doing just great. Let's think about somebody who's in a hospital, somebody who's sick, somebody that you know that needs healing. And what Luke wants us to help us understand is that Jesus doesn't just come to heal, like, physical ailments, and he'll do that sometimes. But he comes to remind us that even people who think that they don't need healing require a type of healing that is much deeper, and only Jesus can offer that. And Luke almost begins the story by saying Jesus had the power to heal. He's going to heal. You've seen him heal. And even them, those who are here, those who are proud, those who are these religious leaders that think they know they have a label for Jesus, they know exactly what he's supposed to do, Jesus must heal them too. If you've been a Christian or you're familiar with church or the Bible, that's probably you and me. Those who think we know, like the stories of the Bible, those who think we, we know it well, we can almost teach the stories of the Bible. That there's times where we have to also say, God, I need you to keep healing me. I need you to keep teaching me what it means to see you in new ways, in deeper ways, where you draw me to a deeper place so that pride wouldn't begin to kind of develop in me. A pride to be like, well, look, we, we have the answer. I mean, we have the truth. Look at these other people. Like, they're, they're foolish. This is the tension that Jesus is dealing with in this story. And then all of a sudden, we begin to feel the tension that something is about to happen in this moment, and we're told that Jesus is teaching. And in this story, he finds himself in this home, and some of you maybe know this part of the story. It's going to sound familiar, but let me read it for you. It might help connect the pieces. It says this. Some men took a man, while this is happening, they took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus. He was carried on a bed, and they looked for a way to take the man into the house where Jesus was. But they could not find a way to take him in because of so many people. I mean, the crowd's wild. That, then they let, they let the bed with the sick man on, on it down before Jesus. And if you have certain translations of your Bible, maybe this will bring a, an idea for you. It says, it says they go to the roof and they look for a way to kind of, kind of wheel the person in, like, like just drop him into this house. And, you know, it's very strange for us. Like, we're like, how is this even possible? But in, in the ancient world, actually, it was a little bit easier than we think. It was easier for somebody to go on the roof or, or some of the roofs were made with a type of material that was easy to move to the sides and, and maybe get this person down to where Jesus is. So feel the tension of this moment right now. These religious leaders are there. The crowds are there. Jesus is there. Now it's a complete mess. I don't know who owns this house, but they're thinking like, I don't have insurance. This is a disaster. I don't know what's going on right now. I mean, if we were there, we'd be taking pictures and doing the YouTube live stuff for sure, 100%. We'd be like, this is going to be on, this is going to be trending 100%, okay? So Jesus is there, this person has dropped down, and every time I think of this, I think of those four men, those men who got this man on this bed to get him to Jesus. I wish we knew their names. I wish we just knew the commitment of these men, whoever they were, maybe friends of this paralytic, almost nothing to gain, who've decided... Are they taking a day off work? Like, what are they doing? Like, they're telling their wives, like, hey, babe, I don't know what time I'll be back, but we're taking our friend to find Jesus. And they get there, and they're like, oh, my goodness, there's so many people here. 
Like, we're not, it's not going to work. And somebody in the group, you know, every group has one person like this that's very creative. We don't have any of those people in our church, but most churches do, okay? Very creative. Some of the staff just got up and left, okay? Uh, but th- there's this moment they're like, you know what? I have a great idea. I saw this once. Let's try. We're going to get him to the roof and we're going to like drop him down to where Jesus is. It's going to work. And the other friends are like, it's not going to work, bro. This is insane. You know, one of the most profound moments for me as I was studying this week is I kept thinking about the prayer of saying, God, bring people in my life that are like those men were to this paralytic. Would you bring friends and loved ones and people who care about me enough that they would help me find healing when I didn't know how to get it? That they would bring me to a place where they would remind me, Jesus, if he touches you, he will fix this and we're going to get you to him. The world is dying for people who will model this kind of love and friendship. I mean, I know a lot of people that would tell you about Jesus by yelling at you, by telling you this the right way, and this is what you're going to do, do what I tell you. But I don't know a lot of people that would say, hey, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk with you now. I'm going to just kind of feel the weight of what it means to be with you in this painful moment. And I'm thinking, like, I wish we had more about this guy who they're carrying, saying, guys, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Leave me alone. It's not going to work. I'm so embarrassed. All the things and all of the feelings that go on. This is a man that we know very little about. But we can agree, maybe, one thing we can agree on, that we probably know that at some point he wondered whether God loved him. He wondered why God would allow this to happen to him. He wondered why his life had turned so upside down and been so messed up like this that had he done something bad. I mean, there's a lot of beliefs in the ancient world where maybe his parents sinned, maybe somebody did something in his family, maybe he's cursed, maybe all the things people believe today. Like there's all these reasons because if God loved him, he would not be this way, right? And all of a sudden, we have this moment where this different kind of love is emerging. These men who love him too who are modeling this care and this attention to say, we heard Jesus is not far away. We're going to get you to him. We have no idea if he's going to do anything, but it's worth a try. And then it happens. If you're taking notes, you have your Bible. This is probably one of the moments in the story where you're going to circle and put a big question mark and be like, what the heck just happened right now? This is what it says. Profound. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if you take notes in your Bible or you, you put like little comments. Uh, some of you may be like using your phone so you have different things. But every time I read this passage or even this week when I was reading it, I could just see the disciples who are with Jesus do like an eye roll and look at each other and be like, what just happened right now? <laughs> like not only is this complete chaos, but Jesus says something that nobody asked about. Like nobody asked them. Jesus, nobody said the word forgiveness. Nobody even heard about this. And Jesus all of a sudden says, hey, This is beautiful. Your sins are forgiven. Now, if I would be there, I would be losing my mind. I'd be like, Jesus, we need you to fix this very fast. We need to move on here. Too many people. We can't handle like a theological lesson right now. Like this is not time to kind of teach us about the meaning of forgiveness. And this is what's so beautiful about rediscovering Jesus. That Jesus doesn't care what we think he should do. (laughs) That Jesus just decides that this is the exact moment for a teachable lesson. This is the exact moment for a theological moment to teach the religious leaders who are there, the faith of the men who brought the paralytic. All of us who are there, whoever we represent, are about to have to rediscover something about maybe the single story we had about Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, your faith 
This is beautiful. This is a great time that you will know that your sins are forgiven. If you're taking notes, you might want to just, just make some notes here because I'm going to just explain something that's really, really important. Now, in the ancient world, it was so essential that everybody understood this, especially the Jewish leaders and the Jewish teachers. That they understood that there was a theme that came to them from the Old Testament and was very, very present with Jesus. That one of the signs that God was doing something new is that God would send one who would begin to model God's forgiveness in a new way. Now, oftentimes that was a prophet. Oftentimes it could have been a, a spiritual leader, right? But now Jesus will use the same language of the prophets, and he'll start to use that language in this moment when a person needs to be healed, physically healed. Jesus will begin the healing by not dealing with the external healing, but he'll begin the healing by talking about an internal kind of healing. This is important, okay, because in the Bible, it is impossible to understand God's physical healing without both seeing the spiritual healing that was connected to God forgiving his people. That God had forgiven his people for being disobedient in the Old Testament, for, for wanting their own way, and who are now feeling the disobedience as they live in a Roman Empire that they're still very much slaves in, still trying to figure out what it means to be God-fearing Jews. The religious leaders, they're like, tr try not to rip their hair out. They're like, oh, wait, did we just hear him say, your sins are forgiven? I mean, I think so. That's what he said. And the disciples are like, no, he probably said something else. They know that something is up right now because they understand that only one person in all of the story of Israel has the power to forgive sins. And that person is God himself. And so the religious leaders can feel this would have been easy if Jesus just healed this guy. We could be mad for other things. But the fact that he said that he has the power to forgive this person causes a whole new problem for us. Talk about having to rediscover who you thought Jesus was. Just think about this moment for us. Like, if you want to write anything down, you need to remember this, that what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's saying that he and God of the Old Testament are equal. The word in the Bible for this blasphemy, is the word they'll use, is idolatry. That there's someone who thinks that they are equal to the God of Israel. Is that what Jesus just said? And they're like, the disciples are like, oh boy, like this is gonna turn ugly. Like, this is insane. Like, think about how crazy this is that Jesus is beginning this moment of healing by dealing with a healing that the religious leaders themselves have to also deal with. That they have to be open to receive God's forgiveness for their pride, God's forgiveness for their labels that they are putting on Jesus, that they're putting on outcasts. All the forgiveness that needs to happen happens first by this moment where Jesus says something nobody asked about. Jesus says, hey, let's talk about forgiveness. And in saying this, Jesus invites us to rethink what it's going to mean that if we love Jesus and if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to say, this is someone that's going to invite us to worship him like we worshiped the God of Israel. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. That you never get forgiveness with Jesus unless you also talk about worship. Never. Now that's hard for us to understand because forgiveness means a lot of things for us. Forgiveness means like, oh, you hurt me, I forgive you, don't worry about it, you can buy me lunch, right? Or forgiveness was like, I didn't do it on purpose, you forgive me, and I'm like, you know, let me think about it. It's true, I believe you, you didn't do it on purpose, I forgive you, right? Forgiveness means so many things. 
So then we read the Bible and we think of our like kind of loose definition of forgiveness and we think, oh, that's what Jesus means. But the religious leaders, they understand exactly what Jesus means. And this is exactly what it says. Luke says, the teachers of the law and the proud religious law keepers thought to themselves, who is this man who speaks as if he's God? Who can forgive sins but God only? This is the moment where you're like, hey, I'm fine with Jesus being a great teacher. I'm fine with Jesus being like a miracle worker. I'm fine with Jesus with having disciples. All the weeks we've been on in this series is all of those views of Jesus, right? But I am not fine with Jesus saying that he's equal to the God of Israel. There I draw the line. You have any draw the line moments, some of you this week? Yeah, maybe? Okay, you will next week. So anyway, there's these moments where you feel like, no, 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 this is it. Jesus is like, this is it. This is it. I am like the God of Israel. I am equal to him. And this man's sins, they will be forgiven symbolically as well as yours if you can admit you need healing. I'll be like, wow. I, I mean, if I was following Jesus, to tell you the truth, this would be the moment where I'd be thinking about not following him anymore. Like, that's just too far. Like, we could handle him in all of these other edgy, creative things that he's doing. But this maybe is just too far. Maybe for you, this is the moment, right? That throughout the series, you've been fine with Jesus, a great teacher. You've been fine even with Jesus. Maybe he did resurrect. I mean, that's kind of a cool miracle. I don't know, right? But that Jesus says, if you follow me now, you have to be willing to decide that you can worship no one else except to the ways that I'm going to call you to now. And the religious leaders feel it. We feel it. We understand that this is a really, really big deal. And then Jesus begins a theological conversation in some ways, which we don't have time for. Some of you will get tired and watch some cats surfing on YouTube in 30 seconds. Okay, so just stay with me. Okay, what Jesus is going to do next is he's going to talk about like, you know, is it easier to just say be healed or to ask for forgiveness? And he's going to kind of make it even more in-depth in this and then it happens. The moment we're all waiting for. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? but that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a title for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, this is it, I mean, the moment everybody starts to cry, I guess. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. This is it. I mean, we all came for that moment. We weren't ready for the forgive moment. That's been my journey. I want Jesus when he does the miraculous. I want Jesus when he heals people that I love. I want Jesus when he fixes the problems. But the Jesus who says that to live out of those things, you must worship me, that Jesus I do not want. Because that means I have to really consider all the other things that I love to worship. All the other things in my life throughout the week that are central to how I see my identity and the things that I love and the way I spend my money and what I teach my kids. I, I don't know about you, but I have the temptation of worshiping a lot of the wrong things. Maybe you have that too. I often think about my kids and our family, our church. Are we helping people to make Jesus the center of everything that they are so that out of the worship of Jesus as Lord, they would be Christians in the world? They would model his light to others. Are we doing that? Now, COVID has made it very hard to do that. I mean, we're lucky if some of you tune in to learn with us here or be part of a learning series. I was talking to my wife about this. 
Like it almost feels like I have a cup at the ocean and I'm like pouring a bit of water on something and there's like a tidal wave of water and I'm thinking, we can't win. Like we just can't win. You don't win with Twitter. You don't win with Facebook. You're not winning with Instagram or TikTok. You're just not going to win. And yet, Jesus says, listen, let's deal with the things that you're learning how to worship that will move you further and further away from the forgiveness and healing that will make you whole. Let's talk about those things. This week, so many things I read stirring bitterness in my heart. Things that I read were making me angry and I'm thinking, this is not going to help me worship. This is not going to help me love Jesus more. I texted somebody this week who sent me all these lists and links and I, I sent to them, I said, you know what, this is great, I'll get to that, but I need a bit more time just reading my Bible and just kind of remembering what it means to be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that we're not, we're not, we don't have the hard work of thinking about a lot of other things, but may we do those things from a place of saying we are those who first have learned how to worship Jesus at the center of everything. This is the moment where the disciples and the religious leaders can feel that Jesus is so much more than what they thought. And Jesus is about to say, if you're going to follow me now, get ready. And soon he's going to start to talk about picking up their cross and going wherever he goes. And they're like, whoa, this, this is too much, Jesus. I mean, we just, we're, like, we're about to draw the line. Like the same, like this idolatry, it's pretty close. The earliest Christians will go wherever Jesus has called them to go. You know, if they didn't follow Jesus in this moment, we would never have a Bible. We would never even know the story of Jesus and the resurrection. We have the joys of reading about this now because people went where Jesus told them to go. Because people followed when it was painful and strange and weird. They just went with him now. And this man gets up and people are probably yelling and crying and celebrating and a healing just took place. And we know that the religious leaders are so upset that they don't even pay attention to the healing. They can't even fathom that Jesus said that he's the one who can forgive sins. What? Like, they're probably still there. That happens to us all, right? Something we focus on and this is the important thing. And God's trying to say, no, no, don't miss the big picture here. Don't miss the big picture. God's doing something more beautiful. And you're like, no, no, let's talk about the forgiveness thing Jesus said. Let's go back to that. And Jesus is going to invite us and his disciples to rediscover what it means to follow him, to go where he's going to go. You know, in these moments, we're all going to be tempted to do one thing. And I thought about this this week as an illustration. I thought about this Bible that a few years ago I discovered. It was the, it's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And, and I, I think about what an example and a moment that we can feel. The Thomas Jefferson Bible is a Bible that's been discovered where Thomas Jefferson a uh, leader in the U.S., right? Uh, he, he basically cut out sections of the Bible that he just didn't like. And it's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And I think that we are prone to be Thomas Jefferson Christians, right? Just cut out sections. The sections he cuts out are the resurrection, nothing too miraculous, Jesus walking on water, took that out, the ascension, the resurrection, woo, too radical, cut that out, right? And after a while, instead of you being formed into a person that worships Jesus, we make Jesus into someone we like. And then we create a Bible to just reinforce that. Just think about how easy that is in our world where we don't have to be disciplined to learn. We're not accountable to anybody when we do things that the Bible says we shouldn't do because we just do our own thing. And we just find verses that fit and we post them enough and we believe them. And in all of this world, COVID has just made that a whole lot worse. And we're trying to hold it all together and call ourselves to a deeper place and saying to rediscover Jesus means to go where he's calling us to go, and to be willing to say that there's a kind of pride in me and in you that was in those religious leaders. They're like, no, no, no. You're not going to get this. We're going to tell you what this is going to be like, Jesus. And we're told that in that moment, at the end of the story, as we wrap up the story, it says this. All those who were there were surprised and gave thanks to God, saying, we have seen very special things today. 
I, I think it's so beautiful that it kind of ends that way. That there's no real way to capture that something special happened while we were there on that day. I wonder how the people who were there in that home are going to go back and explain this to their friends. I think about the things we have to explain to the next generation or future generations about COVID, about how our church responded, about how we acted as parents, about how we treated those we disagreed with. I mean, what are we going to say about those things? But there in this moment where a miraculous thing happens, a person is healed right before their eyes. And Jesus is teaching them about forgiveness and about God's love represented in everything that he is. And they're like, something very special has happened here. As I was praying and just kind of thinking about the text, I thought about how special it was for me, the early years in my journey as a Christian, where I learned how to walk again. I know it's weird because for us, the walking in the story is someone walking physically learning how to walk. But the truth is that as Christians, at some point, we understand that Jesus himself must spiritually take us by the hand and teach us to walk in new ways now. And every one of us, if we're going to follow the Jesus we learn about in the Bible, have to remember that time when Jesus did that for us. Do you remember Jesus teaching you how to walk? Do you remember when it was easy to walk and to believe the stories that the culture gave you about you? Do you remember when it was easy to just walk in the ways of all your mistakes and your habits and all the things that reminded you that God can never love someone like you? God can never heal someone like you. You've been like this your whole life. You're never going to change. And then all of a sudden, God's love and a community and people who care, there's a moment where Jesus says, give me your hand now, and I'm going to teach you to walk in a different way. Those of us who've experienced that kind of walking would call that a very special miracle in our lives. Maybe you're watching, you're listening, and you've never had that happen to you. You're learning about Jesus, you're cool with Jesus being a good teacher, but you're not ready to really let Jesus teach you how to walk or heal you so that you can walk in a new way. We would hate to wrap up a series on rediscovering Jesus without inviting you to give Jesus your hand so he can teach you how to walk. I mean, churches use all kind of language for that. You know, there's words of like accepting Jesus into your heart and all that stuff, and, and that's beautiful. I just think that that can mean like very, something very private that none of us can help you with. Where to give someone your hand and to say, teach me how to walk now. Hold me as I, as I fall. It brings back to me just the images of trying to help my kids how to skate. Right? I'm like, okay, hold on to dad and don't make me fall. I don't want to kill you. We're all slipping here. And, you know, and Jesus is like, we're not going to slip now. Just, just trust me now. Hold my hand. I can heal this. I'll teach you how to walk now. Some of you are ready for that. Some of you are ready for the next step of saying we are ready to worship Jesus and to go where he's calling us to go. We don't understand him all. We're not sure about the Bible yet. It's still kind of a new journey, but we know that there's something about him and there's something about the spirit of God in us that's saying to us and calling us to let Jesus teach us how to walk now. That would be a very special day in your life. So as I close, I'm going to pray that maybe for you or maybe someone you know that might hear this or talk to you about wanting to learn more about Jesus, they would be encouraged to know that this is a journey that we do together. I, I want to just wrap up here and I want to read something to you. And it's a document that I've looked at and it's something I want to tell you about as I close and I'll bring some of this up again next week as I, as I share a bit more about next Sunday. But, but this is a document that we have of a governor, a Roman governor in the ancient world, trying to figure out what to do with these Christians who claim that they're worshiping Jesus as Lord. Let me just set it up for a second before I, I read it. And, and one of the things that this governor decides is that there's so many Christians that are, 
that are in his context and he realizes that these Christians are different. They, they're not able to just worship Jesus and be religious and also worship the emperor and the government and they're like, what do we do now and what do we do next? And so this governor, his name is Pliny, a name probably never heard, uh, Pliny decides he's going to send a note to the emperor named Trajan to ask the emperor, hey, I'm not sure, but is there any guidelines for how to deal with these Christians? Because it's kind of getting weird where I live, so we're trying to figure out what to do. And at one point, Pliny starts to explain what he notices in these Christians that make them kind of different. And let me read it for you. He says this. They, these Christians, were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively, kind of probably loud or expressively, a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by an oath not to do crime, not, for, to, not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery. These are some of the earliest examples we have of people outside of the Bible who are trying to make sense of who these Christians who worship Jesus are. I thought about that this week as I think about us beginning to open up and moving towards next week. What kinds of things will our culture say about us when they look at us and say, hey, those are people who worship Jesus as Lord? Will they say similar things that we committed together on a fixed day, which, by the way, was Sunday for them. It was the day that reminded them of the resurrection. They got together. It wasn't the only day that they worshiped, but it was the significant day, right? Where they said on that day, they were gathering together and they sang to Jesus and they worshiped him as if he was their God. And then they made a commitment to one another to live a different kind of life. They kept each other accountable is what it's saying. It's so good for us to know that we don't have to reinvent the wheel when we're trying to think about how to deal with difficult things as it relates to our culture. They have thousands of years of Christians learning how to do this that we can look back on and say, wow, would we be the kinds of witnesses today that when others see us and they're trying to say, we are these Christians, like, well, they say they, they were learning how to love their neighbors and be kind. They were understanding even when they disagreed. They were loving and caring and also they took Jesus very seriously when he said, pray and bless those who persecute you. Did we do any of that stuff? I'm going to wrap up in a minute and one of the things I want to share with you is that we take Jesus so seriously and we really want as a church to begin to open up and invite you back and this week our elders had a real emergency and urgent meeting to talk and to begin to process many of the things you've heard us share already. So one of the things I want to say is that uh, we are part of an, uh, a family of churches and we are trying to be obedient in the context of our church in relationship to our larger family of churches and we're excited to start to welcome some of you back who have been vaccinated according to the restrictions set in place by the government uh, but we're very, very sad. And one of the things that our elders felt this week is that following these restrictions in no way means that we fully support them. That in no way means that we fully support the way the government is handling this or the way the government is really making sense of religious churches that worship together, it's very clear that the government's not worried about those things. And we're left trying to make sense of that. And so we're committed, especially next week, to share more about this, that as we begin to welcome people back in, per in person, we're also really thinking of some creative ways that we'll share more about next week uh, of just finding new connection points with families and those who still can't come to worship in person. Because we believe as a church that whether you're vaccinated or not, that you're part of this family. And that we love each other the way Jesus has called us to love each other. And that that love that we show to each other is one of the greatest witnesses that we give to our world that is broken. I didn't make that up. Jesus did. He says they will know you because of your love for each other. Anyone can love someone who agrees with them. 
But to love each other when we disagree and we don't know what to do next, that is the work and the miraculous power of God in us. And the other thing I want to tell you is that as elders, we, we have looked at so many factors of volunteers and kids, and our priority is really to start to see our kids come back as well. And, and I want to say how hard that's been as we're planning and thinking and looking at the government restrictions. And, and then this week, some of you know that Bev, my wife, got COVID. And so her work in helping our teams begin to open up and help kind of took a big hit and a delay. And I'm thankful so much for your prayers and many of you have been encouraging. She's doing a lot better now. But you can never really know all the things that kind of come your way that almost sabotage next steps, planning, going. And so let's be careful to not assume that we know the perspective, we have all the answers, or we put a label on someone based on a single story. The elders are being responsible and careful with all of this. And we, we can't wait really to be together again, to join together again, and, and, and as the weather gets better, even to do something outside. I mean, there's a lot of factors that our staff are committed to doing together. And so the other thing I want to say is that next week we're going to take communion. And I've asked the elders, and with their approval, I'm going to preach a sermon next week that's a standalone sermon. That's a sermon just addressing some of the things I've noticed in our church related to COVID and how some of us have responded or not responded. I haven't done this. I've tried to avoid doing something like this. But I think it's time to kind of do something like that. Oftentimes I think it's important for us to have just a bit of clarity and I, I really want to encourage you if you're watching or listening, please tune in next Sunday. It's really important that if you call the 180 your church or you even respect you know, the leadership of our church, myself as the pastor, that you would tune in and that you would say this matters to us. We want to learn and grow and be united. If you don't care about any of those things, nothing I say will matter, so don't worry about it. Uh, but one of the things we want you to know is that we're committed to be a church that loves people, no matter where they're, they're at in this very complicated, intense moment. And I've said this to others, and I'll say it again now, that let's be careful that we don't say things or do things that we'll regret once COVID is all done because we destroyed relationships and friendships we spent our whole lives building because there is no vaccine for that. And Jesus invites us to be those who are kind, caring, respectful. And he will hold you and I accountable for whether we did that if we were those who'd said that we worship him as Lord. Let me just close in a word of prayer before we go now. Father, you're good to us. And I think of the many people who are watching. Many of us who are torn between doing the right thing and doing what works best for our church and being respectful and good witnesses and good examples to our kids and all of these things. Jesus, you know the things that we're carrying. And you also promise us a unique wisdom in these times. We want to believe today and affirm today as a church that you are a God that loves to give us the kind of wisdom we need that's going to glorify who you are. And we are deciding today that we are not going to play the world's games of labeling and, and angry and bitter ways other people who have maybe some different perspectives we're going to learn maybe to disagree without demonizing. And we're going to learn what it means to maybe follow without fully supporting. And we're going to ask you, Jesus, to please help us this week to pay attention to ways that we might act that might not align with what it means that we worship you as Lord. And that you would help us to prepare our hearts and our minds as we... Uh, join together and begin to open up next week and to celebrate communion together, that important meal that you left us 
that reminds us of how far you went to model God's love for us. I thank you for everyone who's listening. I thank you for the gift of our elders and our staff and pray for those who are part of the 180 that they would sense just the weight and the joy of doing this together. And I pray for those maybe who are watching who maybe don't have a church community, feel alone and overwhelmed, that they would feel a connection and maybe find community with us as well. And so we pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey friends, thanks uh, for tuning in and for watching and uh, we really pray that you commit to joining in next week. And again, if you are able to join us in person, we look forward to seeing you. If you can't yet or are just don't feel it's safe yet for you because of some health issues, we're going to be uh, online as well. But uh, God bless everyone. See you next week.